Hi beautiful people, welcome back to Insideman Podcast where we talk about music, literature, cinema, photography as well as other arts. I am joined today by the incredible pianist, singer, songwriter and businesswoman Michelle Lin to discuss the behind the scenes of a multi-talented musician's life and touring. Enjoy! So thank you so much for accepting um, to talk with me, it means a lot. Oh, I'm so happy you invited me. Thank you. You are currently on a tour. Um, and for each of your concerts, you have a completely different program. Um, how is it challenging for you as a musician? And how do you choose these programs? Like, do you have a specific idea <clears throat> before selecting the pieces? Uh, or does it come differently? Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe it's good to start with a little intro. I'm Michelle um, Lynn and I live in the Netherlands. I'm Canadian. So I think that helps also give some context as to uh, why I'm here because uh, I'm definitely not Dutch, <laughs> but I've been over here for almost 10 years. And uh, after the pandemic, um, of course, all of my concerts stopped during those two years. And then things slowly started picking up again. And um, I have my own concert series here where I organize a lot of concerts and then I invite artists to come perform with me. We just finished uh, two concerts this weekend. Um, so in terms of that, it's called Opus 16 uh, Concerts. And I invite uh, wonderful musicians that I would really like to work with because I find that it's um, chamber music is a way that I can really improve as a pianist. Um, and working with people of, of high level that I get to meet in my travels. Um, so in terms of programming for that, uh, we usually discuss as a group. Um, usually we're new to each other. We don't play together so often. Um, so, you know, we had this past weekend a cello sonata and a violin sonata and then a trio where we came together, all three of us. And I just simply asked them, you know, what are you guys interested in? And um, I wanted to do Prokofiev and he wanted to do Shostakovich. So we compromised and we did Shostakovich. <laughs> um, so I think there's just a matter of getting to know each other a little bit as musicians and saying, what would we like to, to work on? But also what does the audience like to hear? What would be interesting for them? And we did this, um, this Janicek violin sonata this past weekend. And I think for audiences, it was a little bit out there. It wasn't maybe so easy to listen to. And so I think it's a balance of trying to find something that challenges the audience and introduces them to new repertoire and still gives them that pleasing element of you're coming for like a nice evening out and we want to make sure that that happens. Um, so that's one aspect. And then uh, I also started playing for an organization called Candlelight Concerts um, in last April. And that's uh, where they're able to bring me to multiple different cities also because um, where my location is, I live in Maastricht in the Netherlands, and it's very central to Europe. So it's very easy for me to go to, for example, Brussels is an hour away, or Amsterdam is two and a half, and uh, Lille in France, I just started playing there. That's only two and a half hours by train. So that's what I think you mean by the tour. Like I get invited regularly to play with them in these different countries. So coming up in March, I have six concerts with them planned. Um, one of them is in Nice in France, Antwerp, Lille, Amsterdam. So for Candlelight, they have a program that they have chosen based on what their audience is looking for. So their audience is very much into an aesthetic, beautiful classical night out with, you know, 6,000 candles on stage. So they're looking for repertoire that's very um, easy to listen to, enjoyable to listen to, nothing too out there. Although I have to say this weekend I'm playing in Brussels, a Tim Burton program who does film music, of course, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And uh, then to that program, we've added uh, Saint-Saëns, Danse Macabre, which is 
extremely, I mean, if you're familiar with it, but anyway, it's, it's totally fun and out there and really, really hard for the piano. So, um, yeah, in that sense, we get a little bit of creative liaison to be able to say, okay, the Tim Burton program is awesome. And what would fit really well with that from the classical repertoire? So I'm playing with um, Eduardo Paredes Crespo, a violinist from Amsterdam. And so him and I kind of pitched a couple pieces to the Candlelight team and they accepted. So in that sense, we can kind of create a program that we think is balanced. What was your worst um, tour or like concert memory and why? my worst concert <laughs> like um organization wise or or playing wise playing wise playing wise hmm um that's a hard question nothing really comes to mind as being bad probably right before covid there was something that got canceled last minute i mean maybe that doesn't count because i didn't play but it was really disappointing because it was a solo program and i had invited some people and then of course everything just from one night to the other we went to lockdown that was not a nice memory um no i mean i've, I've had some really great uh, experiences recently um bad i haven't worked with anyone uh that i didn't particularly like so that's also positive uh, maybe just a couple, you know, there's always going to be disappointments on stage if something doesn't work the way that you prepared it to, or you don't, didn't have enough prep hours. Um, yeah, no, but I wouldn't say there's one concert where I left. Maybe in when I was younger in school, I played a Mozart sonata once and it didn't go so great. And um, I went on afterwards with, with a friend and I asked her what she thought and she was a little too honest with me. And then at that moment, I decided I was going to quit piano and I was never going to play again. And I think I was 20. And I was like, I'm done with this. I, I can't do this. I can't handle this anymore. And uh, that was a bad moment. So maybe that. <laughs> yeah. Um, talking about onstage mishaps. Um, is there one that taught you to be a better musician? Um, onstage mishaps. So I think there's always going to be this. I talk a lot about a flexible mindset with musicians. And how you have to be kind of ready for anything. Um, so I just played a church, uh, in France a few months ago and it was D December and it was so cold that my jaw was literally shaking as I was playing and it was just like frozen on stage. And so that's a moment where you really have to say, okay, I don't have a choice right now. I need to keep going and uh, make the best of this. And then when I got off, I like, you know, grabbed the kettle and all my blankets and I sat there like shivering backstage. Um, and then I think, you know, if something doesn't work on stage that you tried, you just jump to the next section. And I think in terms of mindset, it's really important to say that's behind and like what's coming next and being anticipating what's coming up um, rather than getting stuck in like, oh, I just totally messed up that last spot. And now my brain is there while I'm playing the new passages. So I, my vocal coach has helped me a lot with that. Like, okay, if anything happens, you just immediately leave it. You switch off from that and you can come back to that after the performance when you do like your evaluation. You know, I have some really great, great questions that I ask myself after a performance to help myself improve every time. Um, so that's like, that's for later. That's the evaluation process later. But like while you're creating, you don't want to be judging yourself. So I think that's something that I'm um, actively working on. What are these questions that you ask yourself after a concert? Yeah, so it's called a post-Motorola and it's four questions and you start with what went well and then 
it could be anything. It can be from, you know, I showed up at the venue on time. My sound check was great. I had enough to eat. I felt like I was rested. I mean, anything about the performance that made you play your, your best, then it was what went less well. So we don't want to say what was bad because, you know, uh, classical musicians tend to be extremely critical and judgmental about themselves. So we don't, we don't want to be too harsh and say like, that was terrible. You know, it's like, okay, let's have some perspective and just say this was less prepared this was this didn't go as it should have or you know the the lights weren't working and then I was stressed before I had to go on stage or something anything um or you know my clothing <laughs> I have this one outfit that I just bought and it's a jumpsuit and it's the cutest thing ever and it has these two slits and I forget about you know now I won't forget anymore but this is the second time this has happened and <laughs> I walk on stage everything fine and then I sit down and then the material like falls away from my legs and I'm like oh my gosh like I forgot about these slits <laughs> now I'm stuck on stage and I don't know if it's too high and I hope no one's thinking that this is you know oh it was so so I'm just sitting there you know I'm like okay the show you just like act like everything's normal and that you planned this and then I got some pictures back afterwards and I was like okay this is like the max that I would ever go <laughs> but it was okay I wasn't like showing my my underwear or something but um yeah one of those moments you know you have to be really that went less well I would like to know what my wardrobe is going to do <laughs> before I'm in the moment on stage and then the third question is what did I learn and that can be again a wide range of things from your preparation to the execution to how you speak to the audience to you know if you do um content creation I like to try and record as much as I can so that I can share it on my Instagram after and uh and then the fourth question is what would I do differently? So it just gives you that action point so that the next time you're about to have a concert, you can quickly review these things and think, okay, what, what, what small change could I make to improve? Um, and that's really helpful. For example, this past weekend, um, I never used to record my concerts because my phone would always be full, but then I finally just paid the 10 bucks a month for the terabyte of iCloud storage. And so now I never have to worry about that. So that's great. But then my tripod, um, was slightly too short so it cut off the heads of the trio players and because I'm playing the concert I can't be sitting behind the camera to check these things you know and so these little things are things that I think about afterwards like okay how can I do that better next time you play with many musicians what would you say is the biggest challenge when working together um, and touring together the biggest challenge yeah um Talent-wise, I think you want to make sure that you're working with people who are, um, I like working with kind people who are encouraging, uh, who are prepared, who are um, easy to work with in that sense. You know, you always want to be um, respectful to each other. I've never had a bad experience, at least not recently. Um, and then I think that by who you continue to work with, it just reinforces that relationship. I think relationship is really important um especially working together in such close proximity because you are literally breathing together when you create like you're just glued to each other you're listening for as much as you can you know you're you're on there you know when I'm working with the the cellist and our cello sonata I'm like watching his every breath his every finger I'm trying to be right there or when you work with a singer I'm like watching their jaw to see when are they going to breathe so that I come in with them and so in that sense, you, I think a relationship outside of rehearsal is really helpful just to have that respect for each other, even if you're not the closest of friends, but just to say, like, I really admire what you're doing. And then um, 
Yeah, I traveled for a long time with my best friend, Deanna Petre, who lives in Paris, and we run the Fearless Artist Mastermind together. Um, and before we started that coaching company, we toured with Juilliard, and uh, she's a Juilliard alumni, and they sent us to multiple international schools across Europe to teach kids at these schools where they have an affiliation with the music curriculum. And so that's where I really learned you know, Deanna and I are like on every train, every bus, every taxi together. Then we have to play together. We had long days of teaching and I couldn't believe how well uh, things worked between us. We have different personalities, of course, but just to have that respect of like, it's four in the morning and we're going to make sure that we're super kind because <laughs> we would really rather be sleeping right now. Um, so things like that, I think really help. If you could give one tip or one advice to a musician who wish or need to tour, um, what would it be? I'm glad you asked this. I mean, I think constantly about being flexible, that you have, like, you need to make a plan, but then travel is chaotic. Like, it's always going to change. You're going to miss a bus. You're going to get lost. You're going to forget something in your suitcase that you thought you had for sure. Um, you're going to have to sleep in a different place every time, you know, showing up late, finding keys, finding addresses. I mean, you just have to kind of be ready to to roll with it until you hit the moment where you have, you know, a private driver and, and someone else organizing your schedule for you. <laughs> you know, I think it's really important that you don't get stuck in like, oh, it was supposed to go like this. And because it's not, I'm now unable to adapt. I think it's just so crucial to adapt. And like lots of little travel tips I've picked up, you know, like, When you go into a hotel room, I saw this really great video from a flight attendant and she said that she only has like three zones in a hotel room. So it's like the sink zone and then your bedside zone where your chargers and stuff are. And then like one place where you keep your clothes and like keep them in your suitcase so that you're not like taking stuff out and hanging it in the drawers and things because you're like always going to be in a rush to go find your next train. And then you, you know, you turn around and you forget something. And I mean, I, in the past, I've left a little trail of myself wherever I go. <laughs> like Whenever I stay at someone's house, they call me like an hour later. They're like, you left all your makeup in my bathroom. You know, it's just it's like all these things. So I've, I've learned a lot of systems to help kind of keep me on top of things um, and on time and not missing anything. Do you have a particular regime or routine um, that you do to prepare a photo and during one? Yes. I start with the basics. I start with taking care of myself um, physically. Uh, food prep is a big one. Like, what do I have in my house? Do I have like, you know, bananas and sweet potatoes? And and as much as I can prep in advance, you know, um, do I have, uh, what's my schedule? I need to know, like, where do I need to be? You know, I often don't know exactly what time the show starts, but I know what time sound check is. So I'm like, okay, I need to be coming into the venue at around five. Um, then I, if I'm singing, then I want enough time to do a sound check with the mic and the sound guy that takes a little bit of extra time. Also, that means I'm going to be slightly more high energy. So I want to make sure that there's enough time for me to settle. Um, if I am singing or even if I'm playing, like I try to make sure like I'm not drinking the night before I don't have any alcohol, um, which I've, I've had to learn the hard way. Like even one glass can make me feel more sleepy when I wake up the next morning or, you know, it's, it's important to kind of make these decisions. And then, yeah, like diet, water, working out at the gym, just making sure that I physically feel fit so that I can be running for the train or I can be like looking at my my next performance. I mean, 
yeah, sometimes I arrive and there's a very little amount of time before I have to get into stage mode. So then for me, it's always about that mental preparation. Like if I know, for example, like two weeks ago, I, I woke up, I live in Maastricht and I went to teach in Rotterdam, which is two and a half hours away. I taught my entrepreneurship class at the Code Arts Conservatory. I love them. And then I took like a one hour train to go to Brussels and I had to be on stage at 630 or something. So it's just like this insane day. But and, and then I played two shows at seven and at nine. So I'm not walking off stage until like well after 10 p.m. And I'd woken up at five and I thought, this is crazy. How did I do this? And it was because I thought about it a lot in the days before I knew what was coming. And then I can imagine like, how is this day going to go? OK, I have to get the train at this time. It's if I can plan it, then I'm OK. Um, it's actually insane. Like you really have to have a plan, uh, a plan in mind. And like, do you write down certain stuff? Um, yeah. My calendar is my best friend. It's like in my hand, you know, I'm like, what's next? Um, I have a personal assistant now who's starting to help me with things like booking travel and planes. And, and I'm like, okay, I need a way to get to, I'm going to Nausicaa at the end of February uh, to play at the aquarium for the first time. I've never been there. So I'm like, tell me how to get there. What's the best way? Um, and if I know in advance what's coming, then I can prepare. So yeah, you're right. It's all about the plan. Um, and But then also knowing, okay, like things can change and I need to be flexible. Like you've got a five minute call before you go on stage. It's like, okay, what do I tell myself right before I walk out? I had some really good advice from a friend in the summer. And he was like, as someone who organizes concerts or I'm like constantly trying to answer messages or, you know, people write right before the show, good luck or something like that. He's like, you need to just put that all away and turn that off because you've got to be focused. Actually, maybe that's a good example of like one of my lesser um, good concert experiences is like this violinist I was working with. He's just absolutely phenomenal. And he told me that he could feel on stage if my focus wasn't 100 percent with him. And he thought that it was to do with like being on my phone before I went on stage. Cause I was like, somebody was like, Oh, I'm late. How do I get there? And I'm trying to help them. Or like somebody bought a ticket last minute and trying to feel better. You know, so I took that advice pretty seriously. And now it's like, okay, focus mode is on. The iPhone has that focus mode. It's really helpful. And if anybody writes me, like, I'm so sorry, like, I love you, but I can't want, I can't answer you now because I'm about to go play and I, I want to be a hundred percent on. And then Things also that like I've worked a lot on walking on stage, looking and feeling confident, things like doing a power pose before you go on stage, putting yourself in that mindset. I have a meditation app that I use for mindset um, performance called the flow app. And it talks about how to get you into that flow state. Um, all things that really help my focus that I'm not jumping around in my mind. How do you do because you're a pianist and obviously a piano is huge. So do you travel with it or um, do request the same piano model uh, where you perform? Yeah, um, so normally we're at uh, different venues and then they either hire a piano or the venue has a piano. So, uh, but for example, we I just performed in Liège uh, in January, which is 30 minutes from my house in Belgium. And they rented me the most gorgeous Steinway that I've played in years. It was this phenomenal Steinway D. It had this sound, this warmth, this roar to the bass. I did a Hans Zimmer program. And of course, Hans Zimmer is full of synthesizers and layers and big sounds. And I just felt like I had so much capacity to make it happen. It was really beautiful. So then 
I really made sure I told the guy like, please get this instrument for me every time I'm back here because it was such a great experience. It sounded amazing. I played interstellar on it and it was in this huge Abbey with all these stone walls and the acoustic was so cool. There were 600 people and you could just hear a pin drop, you know, you can like, people are really listening and it was just a really special experience to give that, to, to create that. So in that sense, yes. And then I've had some venues where the piano is not super great. And I'm like, okay, can we talk about like bringing in something, <laughs> something up next time? So uh, yeah, but at home I have a Yamaha and I'm pretty happy with it, but I would like to buy a Steinway. What was one experience related to music or not um, that shaped you into the musician that you are right now? Mm, I get a lot of inspiration from uh, people that I admire um, talking to people who inspire me, um, going to concerts. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good example of any concert that I've been to that has inspired me. I mean, classical music concerts, yes, but also something like even seeing Coldplay live last year, um, uh, just reinforced in me this idea that I want to be an artist who serves and gives and is generous and the energy that they put out on stage, um, from, from start to finish, you know, and they would, they just gave 200%. It was so impactful. I was really touched. Or I heard um, a soprano, Joyce DiDonato, give a masterclass at Juilliard once. And she said, you know, you want to sing to the people who paid $150 a seat in that row right there. You just, you want to walk on stage as an artist where you're just giving as much as you can. You're sending this energy out to be able to connect with people and communicate with people. So I think that's something I think about a lot. Like when I walk out, I want to be giving and creating something for the people to experience. And it's me doing it, but it's so much more than me. It's it's this art that we all come to love and the experience that you can give people. I had someone in Brussels come up to me two weeks ago and she said, um, I haven't felt emotion like this since before the pandemic. Thank you so much for what you gave. You know, she had like tears and she gave me a book of... Um, drawings that she had been doing they were like these gorgeous birds these exotic birds and she said I'd like to give you this um, as a gift to thank you and I just thought this is really special that people can connect on this level and um, that we can create this experience for them so yeah that's something I think about that's just amazing like I love the way that you think you know to, to give everything that you have on stage yeah so you're also a singer which is absolutely amazing. Thanks. How did singing inspire you and maybe help you with the piano? And are there some lessons that allowed you to have a deeper understanding of your first instrument? Yeah, that's a great point because I just had this conversation uh, this weekend with someone that I think every musician should have two instruments um, because you learn so much from the other and they complement each other so well. Um, so I started singing first before I started playing piano, actually, when I was very young, I sang with my dad's band um, when I was three and I was in like this singing and dancing group when I was little. My mom helped me so much get into that and like memorize songs and sing. Singing was always a huge part of my home growing up. Um, so I think it was something that was very natural to me. And then I ended up studying classical voice for many years. And then I also did it as a second study in university. So it was always there, but of course, piano is my thing. It's my primary instrument. And then um, when I moved over to Holland, I started singing a lot at church um, and it's kind of more a contemporary style. So then I started developing a, like a more mainstream sound. Um, then I started taking lessons in mainstream singing as opposed to classical training. 
And I found a coach here um, that I work with weekly. And then I wrote an album during the pandemic. So it's just kind of evolved from that. But so many of my coachings with my vocal teacher are things that I use in my playing. Like, you know, what we were just chatting about when you're on stage, how do you give a, a generous artist? I mean, the mindset, the focus, the concentration, the confidence when you walk out that you're not um, self-focused or that you're really thinking about the audience. Um, those are all things that I've learned from him. And then, of course, like basics, like musicianship, breathing, colors, um, the intention, the communication, all of that stuff is are things that come through in my piano playing as well. You released a single called Hold On that I absolutely love. It's very beautiful, Aww. very touching. Thank you. Um, it's available on all streaming platforms for people who want to listen to it. Um, and you talked about being in pain uh, while writing this song. Could you tell us more about the story behind it and how it was for you um, to write this song? Yeah, thanks. Um, so Hold On came in the middle of Corona time and I just kept hearing stories of people going through very difficult things. Um, you know, businesses shut down, concerts stopped, income stopped, uh, health scares, you know, the vaccine coming out, nobody having a clear idea of what we were facing or what we were going to have to endure. And um, yeah, I was reading in uh, the gospel of John once and uh, these words jumped out to me. It said, um, pick up all the pieces, let nothing be wasted. And it was after Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. This is the story of how the bread and the fish were multiplied. And I thought, that's so interesting that when we think that something is wasted or oh, left over, and he said, no, use that. Use what you see in front of you. Use the leftovers and build with that. And I thought, okay, like we have had this huge explosion go off, um, many difficult stories, and we think there's nothing left. You think everything is over. You think like, I don't know what to do, but it, it was really this idea of look around and see what you still have and use that to build and to move forward. And I know a lot of musicians kind of had this mindset of either looking for possibilities or looking at everything that had stopped and shut down. And I kind of saw people going between these two perspectives of like everything is crumbled and it's horrible and we're all stuck at home, which was true. But then there was also possibilities that people worth being able to see like going online or building your online community or finding finding people to connect with you know I did so many Instagram interviews and I did um, private concerts on zoom during corona so I think I did 30 or 40 where I would invite people to have like a one-on-one -on -one experience or you know they would bring their family or their grandma or whatever and then I had a set list of pieces that I played for them and um just like a 30 minute thing. And it was so beautiful and touching to connect with people in that different way. And that's something that we had the possibility to do before Corona, but we had uh, never done it because we didn't have the limitation of we can't go outside. <laughs> so hold on kind of came out of that, like pick up the pieces, let nothing be wasted and, and look around and trust that this season won't be forever. It's not always going to be this bad. When you're in that, it feels like it's never going to end. It feels like it's this is the new normal, but it's not. It was a, a very difficult and unique season and I don't think I don't think we're ever going to have something like that again. Let's hope. <laughs> um yeah. So, I was wondering who produced and provided background vocals? Yes. 
Um, so my producer is a Swedish guy named August Green. And again, like I've had this incredible experience in the last few years where the people that I needed in my life have just suddenly shown up in front of me. So for example, I mentioned my vocal coach and I really wanted to study with someone who teaches a certain method, um, a vocal coach uh, called Seth Riggs. And he is a former like opera singer who then developed this mainstream technique of having one voice, one connected voice through all of your ranges, okay? And I was sitting at the hair salon across from this lady who starts chatting to me, she's American. And then she says, oh yeah, I danced a headline show in Vegas. And we were lived in, we sang on this, the strip for 10 years. And my husband coached me to be able to headline my own show. And I said, your husband's a vocal coach? Who's your husband? And she said, I said, what method does he teach? And she said, uh, have you heard of Seth Riggs? And I literally almost fell out of my chair because I thought I've been looking for someone to teach this to me. It was so crazy. So then from there, we started working together weekly. And then it came to the time where, you know, my songs were ready and I had no idea how to produce them. I thought I'm a classical pianist. I play chords. I sing over them. I don't know how to make this sound cool or like what to do with it, you know? So um, I took a songwriting class and the guy said, well, you need a producer. And I was like, okay, I don't know how to find a producer. And then uh, a mutual friend, um, her partner contacted me and said, hey, I'd really like to take piano lessons with you. And then I found out that he had just released his first album and that he was a singer songwriter and a producer. And I thought, whoa like what is this like he wrote me I don't even need to look for these people they just come to me so it was so cool we worked together for almost a year and he taught me an incredible amount from like the recording process to arranging to adding instruments you know on the album there's uh, a couple session musicians that we hired to play on the track so one incredible cellist in Nashville played on two of the songs that are coming out and then we had someone in LA do drums for Hold On and all of these things were new for me and exciting and I learned a ton from him. So um, he just moved to Portugal, which is really sad for me, but I'm hoping to go record uh, the second album with him in Portugal. Um, did you have any ideas for um, the producing part or was it just him? Once I understood the process of producing, I think I started to Like as a classical musician, I could hear arrangements or I could hear specifically background vocals, like harmonies that I wanted. So he did the background vocals for the first song. Um, and then through the album, I sang a couple of the background vocals. Um, and then I would be like, oh, I hear this and I want this line to come through or balance wise, I could give suggestions or like, but in terms of the actual feel of the song, there was a couple of things that he just said, let's go in this direction. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool to me. When did you start um, songwriting and what pushed you to do it? Um, my first songwriting experience was probably like 2017, 18. And again, it was like through my church community. And we sang, you know, every Sunday, like 40 minutes of songs. And then it was kind of just trying to find more personal songs that would express where we were at as a community and things that were important to us. So I started kind of fiddling around, but being like someone who's had perfectionism in my life so long I was really unable to ever um, put something out because I thought like well this is not good or this is you know I don't know how to make it what I want it to be or there was a lot of fear there I think and also um, just not being confident in my abilities or my voice and then um, I had so many people encourage me like people would come up and be like when are you going to write an album we love we love what you're hearing we love your sound I have people who can help you and so but I was scared you know so it took 
it took a long time for me to kind of coax myself out of this shell of like, okay, maybe I can actually try this and overcoming a lot of mindset issues. Like, who am I to be doing this? I'm a pianist and this is a different genre. You know, I'm a classical pianist and this is like the pop world. And like, what am I, you know, can you combine those? And then also like my fan base, my following is like classical music related. So how do I bring in like a different, you know, so all of these boxes that we like to put on musicians, I think I've been learning slowly to like, take the box off. And um, then I finally put some stuff together. And then I took a songwriting class during the pandemic. It was in the States online. And so it was like 1am for me in Europe. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> learning, but that was really great, because we had teachings from, from the teacher, and then we had to write and give feedback to each other. And we had to submit something every week. And I think for me, that was the fastest way to grow, because I was literally forced to just put something together, submit it to the class and get feedback. And I think learn by doing is something really important that you have to force yourself to do it in order to grow. Cause otherwise you just sit there and you think, Oh, it's not good. It's not good. I can't finish this. And then you have a lot of unfinished half songs that doesn't really help anyone. So um, you talked about um, having issues with like perfectionism. Yeah. How do you deal with that and how, what's your journey? With it. Yeah, my journey was that I was stuck in so much fear and self-criticism for so long that I was basically paralyzed. I couldn't make a move because I was so afraid of not being good enough. You know, perfectionism is really stemmed in that fear of not being good enough and fear of failure and looking stupid and not being liked or accepted by people. And so I'm not a perfectionist. Like my house is clean and my my dishes are done. I'm a perfectionist of like, I don't want to not be good enough because I so desperately want to be good at what I do and accepted and liked by people. And I think that comes from a deep need for affirmation, which is of course like instinctive for humans, but it's also, I think maybe particularly strong in artists and creatives because we are extremely sensitive people, um, which is a beautiful thing, but it, it can also be a weakness if that's what drives you um, to be accepted. So it just meant that I was afraid to try anything. I was afraid to like apply for stuff. Rejection was really hard. Um, I applied for uh, a master's program in Cologne over here when I moved and I got to the last round and I thought it was going to work out and it didn't. And that crushed me. I think for six months, I was just like totally devastated. <laughs> and so I think I had to really learn how to um, take small steps out of this like very heavy way of thinking that was kind of soul crushing. I got some really good coaching from uh, a girl who works with artists and helps undo these unhealthy mindsets that we pick up along the way. Um, not being so hard on myself, learning things about self-compassion, learning how to speak to myself gently, uh, learning how to celebrate small steps. I used to roll my eyes at small steps and say, you know, oh, that's pathetic. Like you only practiced an hour. You need to be doing six hours. If you're a real pianist, you'd be doing six hours a day. Um, look at these people, look what they're doing. They, you know, the reason you're not there is because you didn't work hard enough. I mean, all of these little things that we tell ourselves, that's this narrative, um, learning to shift that very slowly. Um, and you know, it's been a process. Now my career has opened up to the point where it's like extremely exciting. There's lots of great things happening, but like this didn't happen now. It's been the last two, three, four years of building slowly and looking for possibilities, looking for what's working, finding people around me to speak in a healthy way. I mean, Deanna, 
my, my business partner, she's just probably the most compassionate person I know. She's very kind. She's very respectful. Um, she's very positive. And I learned a lot from her self-talk. How does she talk to herself? How does she talk to me? How does she help me when I'm in a, a negative space or a spiral? And um, I started to see self-compassion as something that um, isn't a weakness, but it's actually how you get out of that place that where you're stuck. Um, so I used to think being gentle is like a weakness, like, oh yeah, well, if you were tough enough, you wouldn't need to speak kindly, you know, just get on with it, get to work. Um, but I've had more um, progress by being gentle and kind with myself um, and celebrating, you know, I mean, this, this post Motorella, these four questions that I discussed after a performance, um, those are ways that I can make small, small amounts of progress. And so in the moment you might think, hey, yeah, this is nothing. This is not a big deal. But over time, it really builds. And you can look back a year ago and say, wow, things have really shifted. This is great. I'm playing at a way different level. I'm I'm a better musician. I'm a better artist. I speak better from the stage. I have a better concept of what the audience likes and needs. Um, I get better feedback. I My social media content creation has improved. I have a better relationship with people in my life. And so when you see progress, it just encourages to keep going in that way. Um, so I think it's been a lot about process. How do you balance um, being a pianist, a singer, a songwriter, and a business owner? That's a great question. I have a lot of, um, <laughs> uh, I'm glued to my calendar, like I, like I mentioned. Um, I've learned a lot of systems in my life to implement where I'm focused on one thing at a time. So sometimes I'm in, you know, I'm in practicing mode now for two or three hours. I've like shut off my phone and uh, then I switch. Okay, now I need to sit down and do um, emails and administration and tasks like that. I'm in that mode. Um, or the fearless artist, you know, we just launched our brand new website yesterday. Um, so there's been lots of things to do with that, but it's like, okay, can I take, I think it's about taking chunks of time and kind of sprinting in that allotted time that you give yourself. So if you only have an hour, you're giving 100% for that hour in that one direction, and then you can switch and do something else. Um, and then like filtering in like really healthy breaks. You know, I have my precious dog beside me and we're outside like, every day. And that's time that I can think. I had someone tell me once, um, if you don't have time in your schedule to think, you're too busy. So for me, I think um, being effective is a lot of mental planning in my head before I take any action. I've thought about what do I need to do? So that when it's time to move, I move now. Like if we need to get out the door, I'm out the door in five minutes, but it's because I've thought so much about it before. Um, and I've noticed that it's in the in the prep and the planning that is where the strength is. Do you take your dog when you're on tour? I can't, no. Do you want to see her? She's the best. She's right here. Yeah. She's just right here. <laughs> so she, um, She luckily gets to stay here because I think she prefers running through the cow fields than she would uh, sitting in a hotel room. Um, but no, I have some really great friends who can watch her for me when I'm gone. Um, and otherwise, if I'm if I'm home, she's with me at all times. If I'm in the city, she's with me. So yeah, she's my she's my little support. <laughs> cute. Yeah. Um, so we know that you will release a new single uh, soon. Um, I was wondering what we can expect from it and would it be similar to your first one or will you tackle um, a new genre? Oh, I'm just like 
so honored that you know so much about my life. This is so nice. You've done your research. <laughs> I mean, I think you you know more than some of my closest friends. This is so great. Um, yes, my new single is going to be called I'm Here. And it's, uh, I guess, in the similar genres like singer-songwriter, right? It's me on the piano. Um, but this one has a beat to it. So it's not like a laid back. It's a little bit more of a upbeat song. And it's really kind of, it is related to this perfectionism theme. So the lyrics are about being seen and being vulnerable and allowing people to, you know, social media gives this perspective of people that they want you to see. Like they post what they want to share. So we don't often see the vulnerable side of people. We don't often see the hard work, the tears, the sleeps, the naps, the, you know, all of the the doubts, the questions, the worries. Um, so this song is the, the chorus is let me be real. Let me be seen all of these broken pieces and me belong to you. So that was my expression of my faith to God to say like, this is who I am. It's not perfect. I don't have all the answers. I don't have this figured out, but I know that you love me and this is what I have. So here I am. Um, I'm going to give you what I have and let's see if it can be anything. And, uh, so I'm really excited, uh, I gotta have to actually need to start promoting it because it's coming out soon. <laughs> so I'm really happy you brought it up. Um, and I think it is within my style, which is the the vocals on top of the keys and then this cool producer thing that August did. So so the entire album is going to be like that. And do we have a release date yet or not? So those songs are being released one at a time over the next six months. And then I'm recording three piano pieces to add to the album. And then at the end, the whole thing will come out and we'll have a huge album release party and uh, invite everyone online too. And it's going to be a lot of fun. That's awesome. I cannot wait. <laughs> um, so you're also the founder of um, The Fearless Artist. Um, you mentioned it a couple of times before. Um so it's a platform where other classical musicians can find help uh, with their paths and um, the business side of music, which can be quite tricky. Um, how did this concept come to you and maybe uh, to Diana? Um, and why is it so important for the both of you um, to guide others? Yeah, thanks. That's exactly right. We started this professional development company for classical musicians specifically. Um, we just felt uh, Deanna went to Juilliard and now she lives in Paris. Um, are you, you're in France? Yes. Where do you live? Oh, um, I'm in the south of France, so it's not Paris. Okay, okay, okay. we'll have to, we have to meet sometime. But, um, you know, we just realized that after school, we did not learn in our education's tools for the real world. We didn't have the business skills. We didn't realize we would become business owners. We didn't learn about marketing and sales and networking and branding and how to put yourself out there. How do you sell yourself as a musician? How do you talk about these things? And so again, when musicians get out into the real world and they have to kind of fight to find their way. And we just thought, you know, power and community, the power in sharing what we've learned. Um, we were, you know, we are expats. So then making your name in a new culture, new country, um, you know, you, you learn some things along the way. And we just felt like there was a lot of power in bringing people into that. We were introduced to the concept of a mastermind through some of her Juilliard colleagues. And we loved the idea. Um, and we just thought we saw so much potential in it to bring this to a wider audience. So we started building it in 2020. And uh, yeah, we really just believe in supporting classical musicians. And the power of mastermind is that you bring 
driven entrepreneurial minded people into the same room and have conversations. And that's when the sparks and the magic comes because people share ideas, they get insights, they hear how things work for someone else. Um, it's really powerful to bring successful people together. And that's really what we want to do. We also want to provide, um, you know, teaching and training about how to do the business side of music, as you said. But then for those who are already well on their way, it's really just about providing them access to a network of people who are thinking like this. And that's where innovation comes in. That's where new ideas are shared. That's where new income streams are are dreamed about. And uh, yeah, we love it. We're we're really passionate about that. And and supporting classical musicians because. I think one of the worst things is that when they get isolated, you can become really negative and start to have those doubts and fears come in and, and ask yourself, you know, what's the point? What's the purpose? Who cares about this? Does it matter what I'm doing? And so I think at that moment, you really need a lot of encouragement and support to tell each other, you know, what you're doing really matters. You're making a difference in the world. You don't need to be famous to make a difference. You don't need to be huge numbers. What matters is that the people around you are impacted by what you're doing. And so let's find a way to make that sustainable. And I think um, we've seen so many artists do things, you know, build their websites, release their albums, get grants, start concert series, uh, develop their private teaching studio. And we just see the ripple effect of, you know, because we touch this circle, those people touch this and it's, it's just getting huge. I mean, one of my coaching clients in California really just ran with this whole killing perfectionism. And now she's teaching this to all of her piano students from the beginning, you know, about making mistakes. Failure is forward. We make progress through it. And I'm just thinking because of the impact, there's like a new generation of kids in California who are coming up with these healthy mindsets and um, her entire teaching studio. And yeah, really, really encouraging stories come back to us. Could you tell us a little more about like the programs? Uh, and is it just like classes where um, there's other musicians or is there also one on, on, on one coaching? Yeah, we do um, a monthly membership called Fast Forward. And it's really just to help you accelerate. I think a lot of musicians are so busy, disjointed, running from task to task, thing to thing, gig to gig. Um, so Fast Forward is a monthly membership. We have group calls and a Slack channel for community and accountability. People come in, they write their goals, whether they're working on what's the priority, what's the thing that has to get done in the next two weeks. And then we talk about it. Um, that's an ongoing monthly membership. Then we also have two separate masterminds, one six weeks and one is 12 weeks. The six week is called a sprint. And it's really a project that you have been thinking about for a long time that you know you need to get done. Like you need to release the album or you need to make your website or you need to apply for your grant funding. And you've been putting it off because uh, usually we have a lot of really urgent things that we need to do in our lives. And the important things kind of get pushed back and back and back. So that program is to really help you like, okay, we're gonna make a plan. We're gonna see you through. We're gonna sprint with you right to the end and, and cross the finish line. And then the mastermind goes really deep. So it's really for these bigger conversations about, you know, the direction of the freelance music world, a music entrepreneur, content creation, building a fan base, how to find your people. Um, we talk about things like habits, your finances, um, the business side of music. And that, again, is like accountability and structure for someone for three months to really make a huge amount of progress in that short time, surrounded by classical musicians. Mm. What business advice uh, would you give to a young musician? Uh, what comes to mind first is to take yourself seriously. So a lot of musicians, I mean, I think the mindset is the first most important thing that they think, you know, who am I to do this? I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I don't know who I am as an artist. 
It's like, yeah, but all of those things will become developed as you go. So the important thing is to start and to find people and to not take it so seriously. I just contradicted myself. But what I mean is in the content that you share, don't overthink things. Don't don't worry about if the lighting is perfect and if the sound is perfect. You know, it's just important that you get started in that. And at the same time, taking yourself seriously that I am an artist and I have something to say and here it is. Um, I'm going to allow people to find me. I'm going to share my practicing. I'm going to talk to people and network and meet people because, you know, the meeting of the minds is where you get your inspiration and um, your passion from. So, yeah, I think those two things. Name one thing that every musician should know about building a career. Um, that it will be, it will be hard. <laughs> I want to say, um, but that... I think the most important thing is to have a support network that you have your people that you go to when it's hard. Um, it shouldn't be easy. We're doing something new. Uh, I think there's this, you know, like a myth that whenever you do something, it should be easy. And if you're, if it's hard, then it's, it's wrong. And it's like, no, sometimes it's hard and it should be hard because you're doing something new. You're digging in ground that has never been plowed before. So why would it be easy? You know, you're trying to make classical music accessible to new audiences. You're trying to uh, practice hours a day on your own and then find people who will come to your concerts. You're trying to create content and, and do tech things that you never learned about in school. Why would it be easy? Um, so I think that's a common mindset that I would like to see shifted. It's okay that it's hard. It's good that it's hard because it means that you're growing. I just thought about something like for um, recording your album, did you go to a studio or do you have a home studio? I do have a home studio where I did the demo tracks, um, but then I went to my producer's studio, which was just in town and he had like the whole setup with his fancy speakers and monitors and, and mics and stuff. But when I did have to make him a demo, I did it at home um, with my, uh, yeah, I have like a little setup here. So that was also something that I learned during the pandemic. I had no idea how to, record now I have a basic understanding of garage band and I can make a, a track on top of each other and sing along to my playing which is really cool um lastly if you could give one advice to another musician or artist uh what would it be mm, I think a lot of musicians think too small so I would say dream big what gives you energy what brings you joy work in that direction and when you're dreaming I think you have to take off limitations because I've learned that there are people out there who want to help you and support you who are non-musicians and therefore they have um, access to funds, uh, private donors, people are inspired by us, they're inspired by art, they're inspired by seeing young people try to make a difference in the world and they're willing to, you know, I have people who offer me time and resources and network and bring me to events and take me places, doors open that I couldn't open myself because they are excited about the things that I share. And so I think dreaming big and knowing that there are people out there who will believe in you and you don't need everyone to believe in you. You just need a couple people can really open things up for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I mean, the word to me that you agreed <laughs> to talk with me. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really a pleasure to chat with you. So that wraps up today's interview. Thank you so much again to Michelle and Lynn for agreeing to talk with me. 
If you want to learn more about her, you can check her website michellelinepianist.com or her Instagram at thisismichellelin. You can also visit the theatristartistmastermind.com for more information on the programs. Thank you so much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye!